Welcome to Untangling Christianity. On this show, John and Greg attempt to diffuse destructive ideologies, unsnarl confused ideas, consider love and truth in Christianity. We hope you'll come along for the conversation, and you can be part of that conversation by leaving comments at the website, untanglingchristianity.com slash 57. You'll also find related notes and links for this episode at the same place. I'm John Polstra. And I'm Greg Monteith. Today we are reading, looking at uh, The Misunderstood God, and we've been reading chapter 9 and maybe chapter 10. And chapter 9 is The Needy God. And I have gone, I have been going back and forth. I, I don't think I've ever had a book that I've liked more and like less at the same time as The Misunderstood God. You know, we've talked a little bit about some of these nuggets that, like nuggets of gold, true, like real gold that Darren has. And I, and I really think they're there. And I really uh, would advocate for people digging in and finding these nuggets and, and really, you know, grabbing hold of them, thinking about them, working them over in terms of their own experience and their own thought. I've got to say, though, that, I, I, you know, I think I've, I've identified two things in the book in terms of the way the book's laid out and the way the book is written and what Darren's actually saying in the book that that really detract from those nuggets and that make it really difficult sometimes, sometimes excruciatingly difficult. And this is one of those times for me. Today is, is a moment of extraordinary difficulty for me to keep tracking with the book because what Darren has said seems to be to be so off. It seems to be so incorrect. And I guess when I encounter things like this, my first Maybe not my, my first reaction is shock, but my second reaction is, can I trust this guy? So what's the high-level theme or problem? It's, it's so funny because I think I've moved into skim mode yeah. with this book, and I'm trying to just stay on the high road of, can I find anything, I was going to say, re- redeeming value. I don't know that it's that strong. It's, it's more of like, are there any thought-provoking, are there any thought-provoking slash positive things I can take away, and then I'm just going to keep moving. So I saw some stuff about we've made Christianity to be all about sin, which I totally agree. I feel like we've mm-hmm. beat that to death a number of times. Mm-hmm. And then in, so yeah, this is the needy God, and chapter 10 was the angry God, and the first question I asked myself was, do I think of God as angry? And I'd say, well, he's portrayed that way in the Old Testament at times, and pastors like to make him angry when they need him to be angry to motivate the flock sometimes. (laughs) I'm skipping ahead now. In chapter 10, The Angry God, there were a few things that I thought that I kind of related to. He talked about control. He talked about falling in love, which I know that the way he described it there, you will not like. But then he also talked about the sense of... But then what was I thought was ironic about that was then he flips that into or it morphs into people needing to feel in control and control things. Mm-hmm. And then I think also controlling through fear, which I see hugely in churches. So yeah, very that's true. my re that's my 75,000 foot view of nine and 10. Okay. Well, I, I mean, stole your thunder. What were you, where were you going with? No, you <laughs> didn't. Seen in nine. Okay. You, you actually added something really important there. And, and I want to touch on the first thing you mentioned was that you moved into skim mode. Okay. You moved into skim mode and then you said, I was looking for something, you know, for stuff that's redeeming. And then you kind of backed off that. That was a little too strong, 
too harsh maybe and you said i'm looking for basically things of things of value but i guess what i want to put up as a as a as a as a as a total as a complete meta comment on this book is that a book like this should have me engaged. And I'm not going back to point fingers at Darren here, right? At this point, I'm sort of moving away and saying, listen, if, if Greg as an author and if Greg and John as bloggers or, or podcasters are looking to keep an audience engaged, and I don't, I don't just mean, um, like we're, we're scrounging around for topics, right? I'm not, I'm not talking about that. I think that this topic, the topic of Christianity, the topic of why Christianity makes sense and why on many levels it doesn't make sense. What's going on? What the disconnect is. That's a really valid topic, and we don't need to look for ways to spice that up. What we do need to do, if people are moving into skim mode, it means there's a problem with what we're doing. Either it's too deep, it's too intellectual, we're, we're flying over their heads, or I think what's happening here, there may be a number of cases, but I mean, I want to hit two. One, it's too deep, and, and that's something to be aware of. Or you've got something like what's going on here. And, and I guess my initial response when I was reading through chapter 9 was uh, the needy God. More than at any point in this book, I began to disengage. And it was a huge effort for me not to go into skim mode. And I think I value what you said about skim mode. But I think two things. One is, if you're really looking for those nuggets, it's harder, harder, not impossible, but harder to get them in skim mode than reading closely. Fair point. And the, the second one is that maybe the second one relates to why I think for me, for example, I would want to move into skim mode. I don't know if this is what it was for you, but when I see Darren, when I experience Darren either globalizing, taking his experiences and making them into mind, saying, you know, this generation is like this, or we've all experienced this, or this is what it means for everybody, that type of thing, that is, is, is off-putting. And when I particularly, and this is, this is, I think, what was going on, it was just this hand-in-hand -hand situation of globalization on the one hand, on the other hand, misformulation, saying, laying things out like this. Not just saying they apply to everybody, but laying them out like A plus B equals C. Well, no. No, it doesn't. That doesn't work. Where are you getting that from? And, and we have to be careful how we formulate things. You can't just say what you think about God or what you feel about God or what you hope is the case about God. All those things are valid. They're all worth saying, so long as you say them under those categories. This is what I think. This is what I feel. This is what I hope. And you take it and you mesh it up with the other sources of information, namely the text. But, <laughs> but couldn't people use that somewhat against a lot of our conversations, which are about experience, where we'll say, well, this is my experience. Mm -hmm. And we hold that out as something valid. Sure. Sure. And I, I think on the one hand, they could, and I would never want to try to set up my experience, I hope I'm not, in a way that I am suggesting that I'm either a globalizing it and saying this is all everybody else's experience too, right? Or to say that it's immune from criticism and critique. What I'm hoping to do, what I hope I am doing is saying, I believe the world looks like this. Here's what I mean. Here's why. And I think what you and I are doing here, even, even in the fact that you and I are having a dialogue and we don't always agree and you will push back and I will push back sometimes 
is we are saying that we are open to the fact that our views are not definitive. Now, I, I'm going to argue for the, what I've got here. I've put a lot of time and a lot of thought into it. Doesn't mean I'm 100% right. It, it, I think it means that I'm more right than not. But I'm open to the fact that if somebody wants to come in and talk to me, I mean, I guess it depends on my orientation, right? As a truth seeker, which is what I claim to be, I don't really care if it's your view or his view, if it's a Buddhist view or a Christian view. And, you know, in large quotation marks, Buddhist or large quotation marks, Christian. I care that it's a truthful view. That's what I'm seeking. And so when I encounter some stuff in Darren, first of all, when you globalize, you lose my ability to respect you. Because you're not respecting me. You're imposing what you've done on me. What I try to do is I offer, I hope that's what people are perceiving it as, but I'm offering, I'm saying, these are my experiences and this is their significance. And this is why I think it's important. And these are some of the components that I think are common to most experiences. Now, if that doesn't resonate with people or people have got, you know, they think about this and they got, hey, you know, I've got really good reason to say that. Uh, no, that's not. Or if you don't, don't, don't think you've got good reason and you want to, want to share that with us, please do. Just share it. You know, we can talk about that. So what's your truth or untruth in chapter nine? Well, it's the, it's the second part. It's the formulation part, you know? And I think what Darren has, has hit off on here, when I see an author, like we've talked about Kyle Eidelman and not a fan. And I think Kyle Eidelman, one of the good things, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come back and, and compliment Kyle. And I know that during our podcast about not a fan, I was not overly complimentary. But one of the things that I can compliment Kyle on is that Kyle laid out his position from the very beginning. And it became a kind of a, I don't even know what the, what the word a is. A rallying we, cry? <laughs> uh, yeah, it was a rallying cry when we would talk about page 21 of Not a Fan. That your entire life comes down to the question, you know, do you want to be in heaven or do you want to be in hell? And I disagree with that question. I do not think that is the central question of Christianity. I don't think those are the central notions within Christianity. I, 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 you know, we spend a lot of time and I personally spend a lot of time criticizing that and offering substitutes that I thought were better. But it doesn't mean that I don't value, and I guess I didn't say it in the podcast because it didn't really come up. I do value the fact that he did it on page 21 and not page 201, that he let me know right from the beginning where he was coming from. And I guess I appreciate that about his writing style. And then I could see coming out of that book how so much of what he was doing was centered around this. And I guess so much of what I see in Darren, so much of what I read, is Darren's idea of loving people. Loving people. And that when he came to love people as a pastor, when he came to love the people in his congregation, and there's something really that, 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 that changed him. And there's something I think really good and valid about the notion that loving people has an impact on us and that it reorients us. I agree. But I'm reading from page 93, and I, I would have to say that page 193 to basically page 103 are some of the worst 10 pages in any book I've ever read. And I honestly like this guy. I honestly think there's a lot of gold here. I truly do. So it's it was an incredibly difficult task for me not to skim, not to put the, put the book down in disgust. So what is it? <laughs> All right. Um, page page 93. I'm looking at 93. I'm like, yeah, that seemed reasonable to me. Well, you know, and I, and I guess I can, I, can, I can relate some. He's telling the story of when his parents, 
uh, kind of told him that his dad was leaving, his dad, that they were getting a divorce. He, he explains the whole situation and, and being a six, a six year old boy. And, uh, when this happened, and it's in the middle of the page after he talks about this very difficult, and I think it was a, it's a truly, uh, it's a truly sad story. It's a truly, and Darren does a great job at presenting it, right? I don't want to take anything away from him in that regard. But it's in the middle of page 193, when, or page 93, pardon me, when things start to crystallize for me. And he writes, it wasn't until the day I, as a pastor, when I fell head over heels in love with the people in my congregation, that I finally realized how love works. And he'd been talking before that about how, because he lost his dad at six years old, he's been trying to find a love relationship where people will love him. And then he realizes when he falls in love with people as a pastor, in the sentence I just read, he realizes that love is different than he, has, he, had, he had thought. He goes on, and this is uh, two-thirds down the page, page 93. I was defining love in the same way that most people in this generation do, by how it benefited me personally. Imagine my surprise when I discovered the experience that the experience of love is not in receiving it, but in giving it. Having someone to love you is not the same as living in love. The only way to live in love is to be the lover. True joy and fulfillment comes through loving people, not through finding someone to love you. Now, two things here. First of all, the tie-in. When I, when I see something like a book where someone is using their personal experience as a real, um, as a magnifying glass, um, as a way of focusing their thought and their arguments and as a sort of crucial point in most things they make. You know, he's, he would, I think Garen has come back, he's probably mentioned this probably half a dozen times, maybe a dozen times by now, about how loving people, falling in love with people as, you know, pastoring, changed his life and it's changed his understanding of love. And then I come down here and he gives me his definition of love. He gives me what it is. And I, my first word is, you know, I put, I put a, I put a number of big unhappy faces and, and I think that it's so partial. It's, it's so partially put out there. The so experience. It's like, it's like one half of the equation. Is that what you're trying to get at? Yeah, but you don't get 50% that way. It doesn't work that way. Is this the idea of, of love or relationship with God where, where we be, where we completely empty ourselves? Well, you see, the only not, way to be the only way to live in love is to be the lover. That's interesting. To be the so the only way to be in love is to be the giver of love. Exactly. And the, but okay, so so I'm guessing where you're going with that is if you're in 100% give mode but you never receive, what is that? Yeah. And where did you get to give anyways? Like, how does that work? And I think... So, so I was, that's interesting. See, I read that and it's like, well, yeah, okay, well, he just left something out. Let's keep going. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> It doesn't work for you. It's all right. Well, no, because what I'm, what I'm seeing is I have a lot of these, you know, I'll, I've said it a number of times before. I'll be reading through a chapter and I'll go, yeah, yeah, yeah. What? Huh? And it's this... It's this, it's this mixed bag where you think, how can somebody have these points, some of these points in ways that for me, I think are so, so clearly done. And, and granted, I think one of the things that we've, and, and many other, I mean, at least the other reviews that I've read of this book have knocked Daryl, Darren for, are his lack of, you know, for, for example, he doesn't give scriptural backup. I think he gives a lot of personal backup, 
I think he's really good with putting in his experiences and telling you why from his experiential perspective something is or is not the case. You know, I'll be reading and and it's like, why do we have these disjunctures? And when I get to a point like this, it's in a, it's like, whoa, okay, you've finally given me enough of your perspective. You've let me into the kernel of what you're doing. And I can see from this perspective, I can get why I'm like striking, I'm like batting 50% when I'm like, man, you've got some pieces of gold in here. You should be batting a thousand with this book. Why, why are you, why are you, why are you missing so many easy balls? I think the reason he's missing easy balls is because he's got this formulation that's only half right. And in the end, it ends up, you, you, you know, it's not like you walk away and go, oh, gee, I got 50%. Let me go get the other, another book that's going to talk about this and I'll get the other 50%. I don't think it works like that. So what's the end result? Where, cause that's the part I'm missing. It's like, okay, I think I'm following along with you that he says he's got half of it, but what are the results or consequences of setting up love the way that he has? I mean, okay, well, okay. before I go through page by page, <laughs> try not to do that. <laughs> next 10 pages. Well, it, it's really hard. I, well, he, he's got a point in here. I, I'd like to, I'd like to quote him because when I kind of make some, when I say something about him and I don't quote what he's written, it, it, I feel a little funny. Well, he could I, use it against I, you too when we have him on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know if he'll have us, if he'll want to be on the podcast after this chapter, but, um, okay. So, so go to page where I was talking on page 93 uh, there. We we're looking at that page. And if you move to page 100, bottom of, and then the top of 101, God does have a purpose, but that purpose is not for us to be servants and messengers for him. His purpose is for us to be sons and daughters. And out of those relationships, we become the message. I would think you would love that. No, I don't. Really? Absolutely not. We are both. If you take the New Testament... Yeah, you, he's, for you some can, reason, I'm always just filling in the other side for him. That's really you know, interesting. <laughs> I appreciate your generosity, right? And I'm, I don't want to trample your generosity, but I have to tell you, you have the ability... Okay, let me, let, let me give you an example here. Um, I remember being at grad school, one of my first courses, and I got, I got a mark on a paper that didn't begin with an A. And I, I went back to the prof. I said, can you help me with this? Because this was not what my expectation was. I thought this was quite a good paper. And I, you know, I tried to be good about it, but I was really a bit rattled. I was like, what? He went through and he pointed out a couple minor things. And he said, he said, you see this part here? You wrote that, obviously. And I can tell from way, the way you wrote it that you completely understand it. And you know what? I completely understand it. But the way you put it on the paper, nobody else would. And you've written it as though everybody understands it and it's easy and commonplace. And you know what? This is a really hard idea. You have to present hard ideas the way they are so that people will get them. Not so that people, the other people who are already in the know will say, oh, okay, I see what he's saying. I like this guy. <laughs> I got to say, me and this guy did not hit it off, but that is one of those things that I've taken with me through my grad school. And it's like, that was a piece of gold I just got from that guy. And I think what you're doing here is when you say you're filling in the other half, I think you've got the ability to fill in the other half. And you may not realize that that's a special ability, just like I didn't realize that it was special that I was able to know this particular point in philosophy and just have it part of embedded within me because I'd studied it so much. But I was not presenting it in a way. Yeah, it's funny. Yeah. And I don't know why. I guess maybe I'm just kind of giving him the benefit of the doubt. I have the benefit or the, I don't know if it's a benefit. I listen to his podcast off and on. So I feel like I have a 
I feel like there's another dimension to him that I understand than just my only experience of Darren Hufford is this book. Okay. Maybe that's what's kind of filling in these other pieces subconsciously for me. I don't know. But continue. Well, it's, it's, we are, it's not about not being servants and being sons and daughters instead. I mean, if you want to look at it, we've got words like slave. We've got words like servant. We've got words like friend, uh, child, son, daughter. All those words apply. And so it's, again, it's the same thing we're talking about with not a fan. Taking up your cross and following Jesus. Is that part of what it is to be a Christian? Yes. But does that have to merge in with and make sense of and be made sense by notions like, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And the idea that we are to love God entirely, to love ourselves rightly, to love our neighbor likewise. It's an integrated message. It does not mean that there are no tensions, but it means, number one, that it's understandable despite the tensions, and number two, that those tensions are, by and large, productive. They are not destructive. And what I see happening, and not a fan, and we've been very critical about Kyle Adelman in this regard, he didn't even touch on those other verses. He didn't even touch on those things. He didn't even say, hey, I'm not going to touch on them. Which, you know, you kind of say, you, you might cry foul on that one, but you, at least the guy says they're there, but I'm not going to touch on them for whatever reason. You can't do that. It's the whole, it's the whole of the text. If the whole of the text is authoritative, then the whole of the text must be taken together. You don't have to look at it all at once, but the parts you do look at have to make sense with the other parts that may, even if they only seem contradictory, they seem contradictory and they've got to be brought in. He's got to do the same thing here right? You want to cross off servant in favor of son and daughter? Uh, So do I sometimes, and I do that sometimes. But I do the reverse too. I cross off son and daughter in favor of servant. It is both truth and love. Truth how? I'm a servant to a sovereign. What I offer there is obedient service. Love how? I'm a child to one who is truly my father, one who is truly my parent. I offer love, and I am in love. That is what's going on. If we do not have a judicious mix of those two, where truth sometimes is able to stand somewhat on top of love, where love is able to stand somewhat sometimes on top of truth, we do not have the mix intention that we need to exist as human beings rightly in this world and to exist as human beings rightly in relationship with God. That's what's missing. And the result of Darren's page 93 is he gets 101. And I think that if he had a different sense of 93, he'd have a different sense in 101. That's my hunch. And that's why for me, it's so important to see these kind of, okay, here's a, here's a real kernel of Darren's thought. Here's something that really undergirds a lot of the direction of this book. And what are the repercussions? Right? So... So your concern is that he's not so much he's gone to an extreme, but he's boiling the message down to one thing when it's both. Well, at least in that particular instance, right? You know, Darren, Darren's got a lot of great insights about love. You know, he had his, his page, uh, his page 72, I think it was. Yeah. Why did God create us? Because love requires expression. He put us on the line. He put himself on the line and became vulnerable in order to have relationship with us. He's got a lot of good insights, a lot of gold in there. Well, I thought you would like on 104, he says, 
<laughs> he's talking about what is he talking about before there? Oh, he's talking about the importance of being ourselves. I, I, this made me laugh. God isn't in heaven saying, "Why can't you be more like Jesus?" <laughs> Instead, he looks at us and says, "I'm so glad you're becoming more like you." Yeah, and I think that's perfect. But the sentence right above there, he's tell, he says, "This is essentially what being Christ-like is about." being driven by the same power that drove Christ, namely love. And I thought, no, it's being deeply loved by God and in love with God. But it's part, and, and part of that is also the motivation towards truth, that this is really the right thing to do. So you're, it, so you're saying that this is this one directional idea of love again. It's only outgoing. Yeah, and I would say, if I was going to be even more general about what I'm saying, what I'm seeing is under-formulation or misformulation, right? You've only got part of the picture, or you've got a skewed picture. And I think that it doesn't happen all the time, but I think this book suffers from some of that. And I think one of the reasons it suffers is because Darren has not, in addition to his experience, incorporated some textual evidence some textual material. He's not, for instance, brought, if he's got a view that diverges from what most of us would understand in terms of the Bible, then you know what? Bring in the Bible to show why it actually does correspond. It may be intention. It may be uh, somewhat contradictory or seem that way, but show me why it's not. Show me why it does work. I'll believe you. I'll give you a hearing. I'm reading your book. I'm interested. Just take the time and show me. And when he doesn't do that, he loses my confidence. He loses my trust. And then when I see him coming up with some of these things, you know, so I hear you, I hear you saying, hey, I want to give him the benefit of the doubt. But when I read something like, this is essentially what being Christ-like is about, being driven by the same power that drove Christ, namely love. My question in light of, like, if I was just to read that one, one sentence, if that's, you know, I don't know, somebody says, there's a book by Darren Hufford and, and they, they quote one sentence, I would think, yeah, that sounds pretty good. But in light of what I've just read from page 190, from page 93 to page 101 to here on page 104, I'm already suspicious. You've already shaken my confidence in you. I already don't feel like I can trust you. And so I do look deeper and I say, well, it depends on what you mean, Darren, because my note in the margin was yes and no. It's about being deeply loved by and in love with God. And it's about being deeply dedicated to the truth that this is the right way to go, that this is the way things should be, that God is the one who gets the final say on this because God's got the right say on it. It's all of those things all together. And so for me, I can't give Darren the benefit of the doubt because he's shaken my confidence. He's put things out in a way that is either incomplete or sometimes is skewed. And he's, he's globalized from his experience and said, you know, it's all like this anyways. And those two things together it's not a good way to try to convince your audience. So what else in chapter 9? Can we close the door on 9 and move to 10? Um, I, th I think, again, the experience, I want to just talk about the experience of it. I don't want to talk about too many specifics. I'll just pull out a couple of sentences to demonstrate what I'm talking about. But I don't want to so much talk about the sentences as the experience of it. Page 95, in the middle. Uh, just a, f a bit further down in the middle. People refuse to even receive a pat on the back for a job well done for fear that they would be stealing glory from God. And then we've come to believe that God expects us to receive us never 
<clears throat> to never receive anything without reminding ourselves and everyone around us that it wasn't us. Rather, it was all God. And on the one hand, the experience is, again, of me agreeing with Darren, but I'm doing so for reasons other than the ones he's giving. Because again, the reasons he's giving often are partial. You know, his reason is we are taught that God is so, is, is self-seeking. And I, I've never been taught that. that. That's never come to me. That's never been part of what it is. And I think that again, what happens is for me, the experience is feeling disjointed and feeling like I'm on the, on the one hand, I'm relating to what he's saying. On the other hand, I'm disagreeing with why he's saying it. And that experience of nodding my head and shaking my head at the same time means my head's bobbling all over the place. And I think that's a really good metaphor for what's going on inside of me. So, um, so should we even keep reading? Well, I'm wondering if we should just, uh, just let it go. Yeah. I don't know. I, my fear is that we're starting to sound like broken records on this book. Well, maybe this is an exercise. Maybe, you know, maybe what this is, honestly. And We're I hear testing no, I totally the patience hear. of our listeners. No, 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 no. <laughs> no, we don't want to do that, right? Maybe what this is, is a way, is a call from, you know, at least for me to say, you know what, Greg, you didn't agree with how he put out this whole thing of we're not servants and messengers, we're children. And you, Greg, said it's both. Well, maybe it's time to pony up a little bit more with how and why. So maybe instead of focusing 70% on here's my problem with this and 30% on here's my explanation, let's switch it around. Let's even make it 20% or 10% on here's my problem with this and 90% here's my solution. Here's why I think it works better to go the way I'm suggesting. I like that a lot. To me, okay. that's very, to me, that's more constructive. Yeah. And, and hopefully more beneficial. Yeah. I, th I think honestly, this is a, this whole podcast is a process of, you know, discovery, self-discovery, you, you and I learning more things about each other too. And, you know, clearly about the books. But I think what I'm realizing is that what I, what I, it, once I can sort of understand the experience I'm having of reading where particularly something, I've never really had a book like this. I have to be honest with you. I've never had a book where I have agreed. Like I've jumped up and down clapping and cheering on one page. And then I'll flip like literally I'm like on the next page and I'm scratching my head and then I'll flip two more pages and I'm writing unhappy faces in the margin. I just have never had that before. And it's so up and so down. It's like an emotional roller coaster. We all need more of those in our lives. <laughs> <laughs> Man. You know, and, I, and it's not, I don't, I don't think it's me. I, I don't think it's me. I think what I'm it's seeing not me, is. It's me, it's you. No. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, it's not like it's just been a bad day for Greg every time he reads that book or, or, or an up and down day. And so I think that that whole phenomenon has really caught me by surprise. I really haven't been able to figure it out. And for me, I've, I really needed, I guess, I really needed to get to page 93. Because I think, I think page 93 explains, doesn't explain it all, but it explains most of it. It gives me a huge, huge insight. Just like page 21, I'm not a fan, doesn't explain everything. That's funny because I remember you saying, yeah, I remember you saying at one point, I think all of non-a-fan hinges on this one 
assertion on page 21. And I remember thinking to myself, I don't know. I mean, it's too early to say. How do we know? I mean, I that that seems far-fetched to me. But I'll, I'll give you credit. It In the end, I feel like especially as we got into chapters like 12, 13, 14 of End and Not mm-hmm. a Fan, mm-hmm. it became pretty clear that that was the only way to tie the whole story together. Mm-hmm. The, whole, the whole book, whatever you want to call it. So I'll yeah. I'll uh, I'll give you I'll say I'm open to that. I guess what I'm starting to pick up or sense is okay, Darren's definitely gone in a different direction than Idleman did, or some of the other guys that have not been so high on our list. Mm-hmm. He goes in a different direction, and maybe he's he's gone in a better direction, but it's not it's not a holistic direction that contains all of the truth. Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think so. And, and I think because there are elements, well, it's this whole notion on, on page 93, I think that's the ultimate in, in misformulation or underformulation. Because there are pieces missing or pieces put together improperly at the core, and who knows, right? We might get to the end of the book and say, you know, page 93 wasn't as important as Greg thought it was on that day. But we might not. We might say, yeah, this is central. But my hunch is because there are things that are put together in the core, and I think the core, I guess my hunch is that the, this is the core. And that when things are put together wrong in the core, you're going to have a knock-on effect all through the system. Because it's a, it's a, it's a system of thought. And it's a system of, it's a way of understanding the world that, 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 that is based on a certain rationale. So maybe enough of that. I guess maybe the better way for me to go is for me to take time and use this book as a jumping off point to take 10% to say, here's, here's where I had an issue and 90% to say, here's where I'd go instead. Sounds good. I think I can wrap on chapter nine. I think the big place to go on chapter nine is page 93 and page 101. And I think I will personally have to come back to that to give you more about what I think about love. I mean, I think I could do 93 right off the bat, but the whole servants versus sons and daughters thing, that'd be a little more involved. So, Well, I think at one point we were also going to do something on slavery. Yes. Or we slash you, <laughs> where we equals you doing all the heavy lifting. We had started talking about, because Eidelman goes off on slavery and not a fan, and that that's one of the ultimate places that we're called to. And I think you got some other books, and we were going to go deeper on what that really, a more nuanced understanding of what slavery is versus the somewhat shallow treatment we've thought that it was given. Yeah, and you know, I think that is on the one hand a call to go back to not a fan, and I hope that doesn't make you wince. Um, I can take it. You can take it? Okay. (laughs) To go back to that part of it. On the other hand, I guess this is what I'm saying that I need. And, and again, I'm not trying to beat a dead horse with Darren. I guess I'm just trying to be clear that. So, well, even, let me be clear from what I think readers need from us. So, if, if I say about Kyle Eidemann's position on slavery as an example, you know, I think this is incorrect. Well, you know, it also threatens my position on servant. So, I would say that. Christians are essentially... That's interesting. I love how you said that. It threatens my position. It, well, it, it does. And if I'm a truth seeker, I've got to be say, I've got to say, you know, my best, my best hunch, my best research to date is slave 
is an incorrect way of seeing it. It should be servant. Have I done enough research to be definitive about that? No, I haven't. So I've got, I picked up two books after we talked about that. I've got Slave of Christ, A New Testament Metaphor for Total Devotion to Christ by Murray J. Harris. This is an academic uh, publication in the New Studies in Biblical Theology series. Series editor is D.A. Carson. And I also have another academic text, Slaves in the New Testament, Literal, Social, and Moral Dimensions by J. Albert Harrell. And the third one is more of an overview. It's The World of the New Testament, Cultural, Social, Historical Contexts by Joel B. Green and Lee Martin, McDonald editors. And so I guess what, what I'm seeing is, on the one hand, on the very first hand, I owe it to myself. I've taken a lot of time to formulate this perspective on love and truth, uh, Christian as child, and Christian as servant. And I need to be paying myself back. I need to be respecting myself and taking the time when I'm presented with an argument about slavery. And it's not the only one. Kyle is not the only one to say this. You know, if it's one lone voice saying something that nobody else is saying, I'm not suggesting that if you have a view that's the opposite view and you think it's well-founded, that you should go and get a bunch of books and figure out why this one view that seems to be crazy might have some validity. I'm not suggesting that. There are actually a lot of people who hold this view about Christian as slave. In light of that, I need to, as a truth seeker, as somebody who is say, you know what, I would rather believe what is true than what I want to believe. That's what a truth seeker is. I believe it's better in the end to believe what's true than to believe what I want to believe. And if that's the case, then even though I've done, I have done a fair bit of research on this, I sure haven't read these two books. I haven't, I haven't dedicated this much time to it. I'm going to read these two books. I'm going to read, uh, you know, Joel B. Green's uh, overview book, Cultural Context in Terms of Slavery. And I'll see if I can pull up a couple articles and try to weigh up the information in there and see what's going on. And I guess this is what I would say when I'm talking about formulation. Formulation is laying things out the way you think they are on the basis of the best evidence you have. And number one, I want to present my evidence. So I'm going to tell you what books I'm using. Number two, I'll give you the specifics. Here's what I think is important in this book, and here's what is, um, you know, presenting this, the position of slavery as being the right one. Here's what's presenting the position of servant as the right one. And tell you, when I weigh all those things up, what, where I stand and why. I, I think that's what it means to formulate something correctly. It's helping people to understand that you are a truth seeker and where your truth is coming from. Because you know what? You might believe, <laughs> I, there's no reason to believe what I have to say unless it's true. Well, but, and also what just struck me too is this, that you're not starting with the end and trying to work backwards. How do you mean? I think what I mean there is I have often felt that certain sermons are presentations of what someone's pet topic or what someone thinks the the faithful need to hear that Sunday and they're just going to drive mm -hmm. it home with whatever they can pile on and they're going to pile on as much stuff as they can to try to make that point. Right. Right. Now maybe that's too much of a cynical view. I don't know. But... No, it's it's good, but but I have to be honest with you and honest with anybody listening and say in one sense I I you know I I have a starting point. And because I left Christianity for seven years and came back to it, my starting point is not the Bible. My starting point 
are the experiences of God, the experiences of being loved, the new and different understandings I had about God through being prompted to think that it was even, that, that, that God was even, pardon me, there and that God was even worth considering and that, you know, experiences of being loved by God, that that, that was life-changing. So I do have a starting place, you know, and, and my experiences and my understandings are both big in that. But I think part of what this is, particularly the example with slavery, is saying, okay, you know, I started someplace and I have come up with this formulation. I think it's right. But you know what? I need to double back. I need to do a recheck. I need to dig deeper. I need to engage with this material. And, and uh, you know, I'll probably get another book or two, actually. <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> I mean, honestly, the no, way... but this is such a different... What what strikes me here, and I think we probably need to wrap, is the approach yeah. that I hear you taking, and I hope other people are getting it too, is I hear you saying, I'm pretty confident that I've got the, the truth. I have the right answer here. Here's how I've structured it. I'm also trying to remain open that there could be something else here. And that has not been mm-hmm. my experience very often in formal Christian settings. The, 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 mm-hmm. my experience of formal Christian settings is here's the answer it's really clear there can't be two answers because if there's two that means that we've been swept away by the relativistic notions of our age and whatever's <laughs> true for you is true for you and whatever's true for me is true for me and they you know they can both be true even if one's clearly false and one's clearly true so that's the difference I see here and I hope that I don't know. Maybe I'm just trying to pat ourselves on the back. <laughs> well, you know, to to follow up from one of the things that Darren said in this chapter nine, and I did appreciate, uh, I appreciate the compliment. You know, so I think that's very complimentary what you said. And uh, again, you know, I'm not going into slavery. I'm not going into this thinking, oh, gee. I hope know? it's not. I've got to find every way to prove that it's not slavery so that. I can live an, live an easier life. No, yeah, but but it's not the opposite either. It's not me. It's I'm not I'm not going in there in total terror, thinking that everything I've thought <laughs> and put together and researched and all the people I've read, uh, it's, it's that it's all been bunk or something, you know. And so I'm open to, I, and I'm sure that by doing this, I'm going to get more truth than I had before. Now it might be truth in the sense of small brushstrokes, right? If we think about it as a big portrait. Might be just t- small brushstrokes. Might be some medium brushstrokes. It might be some large brushstrokes. I'm personally, I'm doubtful that it's going to be large brushstrokes, but it might be. But I, you know, I'm going to get more than I had before when I go through this exercise, and I guess that's the point, you know. And when I get more truth, if I, if I if I believe that all truth is God's truth, I'm getting more of God. I'm getting more in terms of my relationship, my ability to relate rightly my ability to understand myself, my world, because I believe that God is deeply involved in who I am and in, in, in what this world is about. Having more truth about God gives me more. Thanks for listening to the Untangling Christianity podcast. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode. So leave a comment on the website at untanglingchristianity.com slash 57. If you'd like to be notified by email when new episodes are released, 
or other news, subscribe to our mailing list, also available in the right sidebar of the website. We welcome your questions, comments, or suggested future discussion topics by email. Send those to feedback at untanglingchristianity.com. Music on this podcast is made possible by Kevin McLeod over at Incompetech.com and is licensed under a Creative Commons license. Tune in next week for a new episode.